Healthcare reform, the buzzword of candidates and policymakers, healthcare managers, doctors, and patients. What are the underlying problems in our healthcare system, and what should we do? You are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on public policy. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host, and joining me today is Peter Pitts, co-founder of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest. From 2002 to 2004, Peter was FDA's Associate Commissioner for External Relations, serving as the agency's chief messaging officer, where his challenge was to clearly define FDA's brand image and to communicate the agency's main themes to its many constituencies. Peter, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, what did you think of the movie Sicko? Well, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go see it, and I took my wife to go see it. And after the movie was over, I asked my wife, if you gave me $25 million, do you think I can make a movie that would be just as good as Sicko and saying exactly the opposite? She said, sure. And I go, there you go. So uh, it was certainly entertaining, and I think it's interesting that the New York Times promotes it as a comedy. <laughs> Let's say you're a candidate running for president right now, and you call Peter Pitts for his advice. What's he going to say? Well, I think you have to tell uh, candidates and tell the general public that the health care in this country absolutely needs to be fixed. But that doesn't mean that it's horrible and that other countries are doing a lot better than we are. I spend a lot of time in Europe, and let me tell you, if you think health care in this country needs to be fixed, you should go to Europe for a couple of weeks. At the end of the day, you know, the most important health care issue in this country that nobody's talking about is that we are really good at focusing on people once they get sick. We're really good at acute care. We're not so good at keeping people well or dealing with chronic diseases once people have them like hypertension or high cholesterol levels or diabetes. And we've got to focus on keeping people well because at the end of the day, a person who is healthy and is taking their chronic medications is working, they're paying taxes, they're not a burden to the health care system, and most importantly, they stay out of the hospital. I think what most people don't understand is that the largest share of the U.S. health care budget is hospitalization, over 30%. And when you ask people what percent of the U.S. health care budget is spent on pharmaceuticals, they kind of frown and they say 60%, 80%, 75%, and the number is actually 11.5%. 11.5% of the health care dollars spent on pharmaceuticals. People are amazed. And Politicians don't understand that's actually money well spent because a properly medicated patient stays out of the hospital. Their diseases are under management. They pay taxes. Although it's very easy and politically popular and the media loves it when you bash the pharmaceutical companies, at the end of the day, you know, the last thing we want to do is scare people off their meds, which just results in greater expenses, you know, much more significant deleterious effects on society and just generally brings things in the bad direction. So when it comes to, you know, politicians, and healthcare reform, what I would advise is move away from sound bites, talk about what the big problem is, and try to solve it. Obviously, people always want simple solutions to complex problems. They're hard to come by. Mark Twain said that for every complex problem, there's usually a simple solution, and it's usually wrong. And that's certainly true when it comes to politicians talking about healthcare. Well, in your travels around the world, have you found any healthcare system that actually focuses on prevention? No, absolutely not. I think that's part of the problem. You know, here's an interesting statistic. Over the last 50 years, the lifespan of the average American male, like me and you, has increased by 10 years. 10 years over 50. That's really an astounding number. And it's due largely to advances in pharmaceuticals. So I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, both here and abroad, look at modern medicine and they go, well, you know, there's a magic pill for everything. There's a magic pill for my cholesterol, and there's a magic pill for my blood pressure, and there's a magic pill to help me lose weight, and for this and for that. And what they've forgotten is 
personal responsibility, that you really have to watch your diet, and you've got to exercise, you've got to be in good health. You simply can't allow yourself to get sick and then hope that your doctor can make you better. And I think that's where we are here in this country, and I think, unfortunately, the rest of the world has followed suit. We've forgotten the role that we as individuals play in keeping ourselves healthy. You know, we have a society that is not willing to make any sacrifices, even at a time of war. We're not asked to do anything differently. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we live in a very you know, self-centric society. But at the end of the day, you have to deal with the reality. And maybe, you know, the harsh reality that our healthcare system simply isn't delivering what it needs to deliver and that we're running out of money will make us sit up and take notice to change our behavior. I know that that's a tall order. And politicians don't like telling people things that they don't like to hear. And the media certainly doesn't like reporting it. But at the end of the day, it's reality. And you can either talk in sound bites and make it somebody else's problem or you can try to really address it. But I think the best that we can expect is that uh, politicians will look at the issue and try to understand what needs to be done. And I think that clearly there are lots of things that can be done. You know, for example, the fact that you can't buy an insurance policy in New Jersey and then move to Indiana and have the same policy is horrible. It makes no sense at all. It's deleterious to the public health. The fact that insurance companies are paying doctors to switch their patients from one molecule to another for price reasons is abominable. It's almost malpractice, but nobody really wants to talk about it, especially now that the government is such a large payer within the healthcare community. The government now is thinking about which medicine is the cheapest rather than what's going to be best for the patient in the long run. I think we're having this debate now, and the side that's got the upper edge, unfortunately, is the side that's focusing on cost-based savings rather than on patient-centric care. And people say, well, I want universal care like they have in Europe or Canada. And people don't realize that, you know, price controls also result in choice controls that, you know, if the government decides to pay for everything, they're also going to decide what your doctor can prescribe. I mean, Senator Clinton said in one of her health care speeches that she had learned from her past mistakes and that you can now go see your own doctor, which people kind of listen to and they think going to see your doctor is certainly a good thing. But when you dig into her health care plan, for example, she has something called the Best Practices Institute, which would basically tell doctors how to practice medicine. So while you can now go see your own doctor, the doctor can only do what the government tells them to do. So people say universal care, and you know, Michael Moore said universal care, and that sounds very good. It's a very positive phrase. But when you tell people, well, would you rather have universal care or would you rather have government care? They go, oh, universal care. And then you say, well, you know, they're the same thing. They kind of look at you, and they don't quite understand what's going on. And then you can really open up a conversation about what's going on in Europe and what government care really is and, and what it results in. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special program on public policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking with Peter Pitts, the co-founder of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest. Peter, you know, you talked about insurance companies trying to change prescriptions so they can save a few bucks. And I think part of the problem is because they know that that patient's not going to be with them that long, that people are changing insurance companies every six months. And so they don't want to foot the bill for anything. Well, that's true. I think that you know, part of the problem with an insurance structure that doesn't allow the patient to continue their coverage in the same way they see fit from job to job really reinforces the fact that insurance companies want to save as much money as they can as quickly as they can because they know that any given patient will be off of their rolls in you know, whatever, three to six years, whatever the averages are. Physicians are in a bit of a bind because it's more likely that a physician will see the same patient who's being covered by different insurance companies. And it must be tough for a physician to spend a lot of time with the patient to prescribe what that doctor feels is the, exactly the right medication for that patient. The patient changes jobs. The insurance company says, no, now you can't get this drug. You have to get that drug. The patient has to go back to the doctor and, and rejigger 
all the medications and the various treatment regimens. That's not the way to do healthcare. That's the way to save money. And the two really are at counterpoint to each other. I mean, in Europe, the healthcare minister is often called the junior finance minister. And I think, uh, you know, God help us if that ever becomes the situation here in the U.S. Well, you know, I have the choice as a physician when they come in with their new formulary to either write letters and fight the system or just take the path of least resistance, because otherwise I'd be writing letters all day long. And of course, you as a physician, you have a job to do, and that job is to see patients, and I'm sure you're seeing more patients now in a shorter period than you ever have before. The biggest pressure on physicians these days is time pressure, and doctors all want to do the right things. They want to fight the insurance industry, and they want to write letters for their patients to get reimbursed for the right drug, but at the end of the day, you don't have the time. And at a certain point, you have to make a decision as to what you're going to spend your time doing. You haven't been trained to fight the insurance industry. You were trained to practice medicine. But unfortunately, the patients weren't trained to fight insurance companies either. It's kind of a learned trade that we all have had to bring ourselves to use, which is really unfortunate. I mean, to have to fight an insurance company to get a drug that your doctor feels is right for your condition, that if not provided would result in much higher costs to our healthcare system as a whole is just basically criminal. You know, I've been practicing for about 15 years, and there's something appealing to going to work for the VA and not having to play these games anymore and just see my patients, treat them, and not worry about all these other crazy things out there. I wish it was that easy, because if you're a VA doctor, your formulary is one of the most restricted in the country. Right, but it does make practicing medicine easier if you are restricted. It doesn't make it better. Isn't that horrible that the path of least resistance leads to suboptimal care? That's a sad state of affairs. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. So, you know, besides having people take responsibility for their own health, which they don't like to do, there's an old Todd Rundgren song that says, how can I change the world when I can't even change myself? What can we get the insurance companies to do? Because they want to make money. What's in it for them to change their paradigm? Well, right now, there's absolutely nothing in it for them to change their paradigm, which is why the paradigm has to change. And one thing that government can do is change the way the insurance industry does business in this country. And that can be done by statute. But I think that educating Americans as to their own personal responsibility is going to be hard. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be expensive. But we absolutely have to do it. We won the battle of tobacco. We educated Americans about the dangers of tobacco when everybody smoked. We educated Americans about wearing seatbelts when nobody wanted to wear seatbelts. And we won those battles. It can be done. But it really is a choice of government to focus on one key important health care message and really drive it forward again and again and again. We told Americans just to know the drugs. We've had limited success, but at least that message is getting across. I mean, when I was in government, when I was associate commissioner of the FDA, my budget for public outreach was zero. The only public outreach I had at my disposal was using the bully pulpit. And government has a very strong pulpit, and they need to use it. But I also believe they really need to budget for it and really put forward a strong, single, consistent message over a long period of time. It can be done. It must be done. And I think that one of the small things that points to success is that as baby boomers all age into senior citizenry, as baby boomers all become eligible for their AARP benefits, they're going to want what they've always wanted, which is everything. And now at the top of wanting everything is being healthy. I think they're now open to that message. And so now's the time to strike. Peter, what if there was a system in place that rewarded you for living healthy and your premiums were much less if you were normal weight and you didn't smoke and you had to pay less and you had to pay less for your medicines and the system was kind of tweaked that way. That's certainly something to investigate, but you also have to be honest and say that if you can offer people carrots, you're also going to have to show them sticks to understand what the penalties can be. I mean, when I signed up for my life insurance policy, the first question that you get asked is, do you smoke? 
and when you say no, I certainly did, then they, you, you get a discount. That's a good incentive. But at the end of the day, when you get insurance and if you do smoke, you pay higher premiums. What are we going to do for, for people who are overweight or people who have diabetes? We don't want to punish them because people get diseases. But at a certain point, if you have, say, for example, high cholesterol, and your doctor has prescribed a statin for you and told you to lose some weight, and after a certain given amount of time, say two years, I'm just talking off the top of my head, you've been non-compliant with your medication and you haven't lost weight, should you then pay higher costs for your medicines and pay higher costs for your insurance? That's a tough conversation to have. That's telling people that they really have to have responsibility and that if they don't, there are going to be consequences. I certainly think it's something to think about. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, Peter Pitts, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks very much. You've been listening to a special segment on public policy. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and we were joined today by Peter Pitts, co-founder of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest. We welcome your questions and comments at ReachMD. If you log on to our website, you can now download any podcast of our entire library. Thanks for listening.